Welcome to Louisiana Lefty, a podcast about politics and community in Louisiana, where we make the case that the health of the state requires a strong progressive movement fueled by the critical work of organizing on the ground. Our goal is to democratize information, demystify party politics, and empower you to join the mission because victory for Louisiana requires you. I'm your host, Linda Woolard. On this episode, I speak with Representative Mandy Landry, friend of Lefty, who returns to the podcast for a quick pre-election day update. Known as The Good Landry, Mandy joined us on season one of Louisiana Lefty, so if you'd like to hear a longer conversation with her, check out that previous episode, which I'll link to in our episode notes. Rep Landry is running for re-election in House District 91, and I caught up with her on the campaign trail to get her takes on my top Louisiana issues of the moment, the ones I call existential, climate, insurance, and the state of the state Democratic Party. In typical Mandy fashion, she pulls no punches in her answers. Please be sure to check out the episode notes for links to more information on the topics we discuss, like the quote-unquote happiest little bill Rep Landry passed to recycle oyster shells for coastal restoration, the fortified roof program passed in the last session that provides grants of up to $10,000 for homeowners to repair or replace their roofs, and the article we're both quoted in where we offer prescriptions for rebuilding the Louisiana Democratic Party, which I continually contend is essential for the state to survive. No hyperbole. Representative Mandy Landry, thank you so much for joining me on Louisiana Lefty. Always good to be here, of course. Well, right. I have to say welcome back because you have been with us before. And if folks are interested in all that you're about, they can go back to the season one episode we did with you, which I'll link to in the episode notes. We've had a couple of male candidates on right before election day. I wanted to make sure we had someone <laughs> from the woman's gender on to, to speak before we go on to election day, because it's a big year for women in politics. We always need more. We always need more. We always need more. And we have what, two women running, three women running statewide, like parents I know of. And that's a little disappointing. So looking at these down ballot races is more important now than ever. Yeah. And you have built a career even before you were involved in politics, helping on the abortion issue for women. So I wanted to make sure that we pointed that out. I think anyone that's followed you has known you're not shy about mentioning that. You mention it frequently. But I did want to give you an opportunity to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so I've been a lawyer a long time. Almost, well, no, no. I think my swearing in is 18 years next week. So I was always a big farm lawyer in D.C. and New Orleans. And I don't know, kind of bored with it, you know, doing the same sort of commercial stuff. And I had been thinking of trying to do something more interesting and in social justice. And I had always been a little bit more for women and women's issues. And I was like reading a news article one day about like the local clinic. And I saw that there was this woman, Ellie Schilling, local, who was listed as the attorney for Planned Parenthood. And I was like, whoa, there's someone even in this city who represents an abortion clinic. Like I was shocked. 
because, you know, the state is so anti-abortion. And I started poking around at her firm and saw they did a lot more interesting stuff. And one way or another, I got myself there. So I, I literally went there. I wanted to do that kind of, you know, reproductive rights work. And, and we represented the clinic. We also did some fertility clinic work, which is the opposite side and like equally as important. Uh, we represented Sofia Vergara when her ex was trying to force her to, they had fertilized eggs when they, well, embryos, I guess you could say, when they were together and then they broke up and they were on ice and he was like trying to get uh, a uh, surrogate to have them and talk about the worst, most abusive ex in your life <laughs> doing that. And uh, so I did that and I represented some minors and judicial bypass. And then when the time came to run, one of the reasons it was post-Trump, the governor kept signing bad laws. And I said, well, if I'm going to run, I'm going to do it as myself for what I believe in. And I knew that my district was heavily pro-choice. Like I just knew they would be okay with it. And they weren't just okay with it. They're like, hell yeah. Why won't more people do this? Why won't more people talk about this? So I've done it with all kinds of progressive issues and it's worked with my district and I'm really fortunate. I call it a unicorn district. And I'm really fortunate I can talk about and and push a lot of progressive issues. Well, right. That's another reason I really wanted to have you back on the podcast before election day, because again, I wanted to get a representative woman on here, but really as a progressive podcast, when I think of progressive elected officials, you really are the first person to come to mind. And I think that's probably true for a lot of people. I had a couple of other things I wanted to ask you specifically about because they've sort of been the through line that we've talked about with the previous candidates this election. And because I think they're really existential issues for the survival of the state. I mentioned climate. I mentioned insurance a lot. I know on the insurance piece, you've talked a lot about feeling like there should be a federal solution to our insurance issues. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's, it's something something that just seemed obvious to me as much as a year ago, and it's finally getting a little more discussion this year. You know, I just kind of realized, I was like, we have flood insurance as federal because we couldn't afford it on our own. And what kept happening with more storms and floods and we're not ready for it and they're more frequent. I'm like, the state, the state can't afford this. Like, we can't pay for all of this every time a storm happens. And while I understand that means we're going to, you know, have to have some hard, hard conversations over time within the state and federally. But you can't just dump people overnight um, and then they're you know, they're such in danger of losing everything in the next storm because they don't have insurance. And now more people are talking about it. They're going to have to do something about it. You know, we have the roof program here, uh, Fortified Roof, and you should go Google that if you're looking into it. That's great. But we can't do it on our own. The feds have to come in. And if they don't, what's going to happen is there are going to be a couple of storms. And because everyone with a mortgage needs uh, homeowner's insurance, they're not going to have it. And what's going to happen to all these banks? So even if they don't care about us, they need to care about the economy and figure something out. And it just doesn't seem like that's at the top of anyone's list. And it should be. Okay. And so my worry, Mandy, is this climate piece, particularly down here in Southeast Louisiana. Although, as Dr. Wilson mentioned on the last episode, we've got hurricane force winds that are getting up to North Louisiana now. 
And I'm wondering what your thoughts on the, the climate issue are. What are our odds? We've got a Republican majority going into this next term right off the bat. And there's nothing to be done mm -hmm. about that. We're obviously, I know the House Democratic Caucus, who is supporting you, is trying really hard to make sure we don't get a supermajority in the House. But what are the opportunities for climate? given that that's such an existential issue for this state? there That's a place that I don't want to say it's bipartisan, but kind of starting to get there. And they would never use that word for it. But you just look at like coastal erosion, master plan, um, diversion, CPRA, like none of those things are controversial. But they're not presented in terms of climate change either, even though it is. It's just kind of presented in a, like, we want to preserve the coast. People want to, you know, we want people to live there. We're like falling into the ocean and it's or the Gulf. And it's kind of ridiculous that no one talks about why, which is a combination of climate change, the um, oil and gas companies for what, almost a century, just ripping up the state and then the state allowing them to do it. And there's actually a bunch of lawsuits out there, the coastal litigation suits that are hoping to get some, um, get a lot of money from oil and gas to build more, to either build more land or, or to block it off or, um, you know, do what needs to be done. But it's interesting that people don't use climate change, but they, like, they know that's what it is. And so there's been a lot of bipartisan stuff. I've done some work in that arena, some hazard mitigation, um, the oyster shell bill that everyone loves, but no one will use that word because you, you still got the crazies that say it doesn't exist. And I, that's something we can't fix. But I think the adults in the room, which is a lot of people, realize that this is coming faster than anyone expects. And it's, I mean, purely look at the amount of storms, huge storms that we're having regularly. And that never happened years past. So I think they know what's going on, but they're not going to use those words. If progress can be made, who cares what they call it? Yes, I agree. Same with. Same with healthcare, they've finally come around, I think, into realizing they can pay a dollar now for preventative or early care, or they can pay $10,000 in the emergency room later. And they don't, a lot, of, a lot of them don't like it, but most of them have realized just from a financial perspective, they have to like it. And it's been happening. Now, you mentioned up front that you come from a legal background, that you were a lawyer before, you, well, you're still a lawyer. Yeah. as well as a legislator, uh, mm -hmm. how significant has it been that you have that legal training as you do this legislative work? It seems to me like maybe not necessary, but it's really helpful. Very, 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 very. And it's so helpful. And it's the only way I can kind of make it through. Um, people have to realize we only have one aide, one, and they don't get paid well. And my aide is one of my good friends um, who wanted the job for health insurance, by the way, that's how terrible our, our state is. And she's amazing because she has a customer service background. So she does all constituent requests and we get a lot. Um, part of it is because we're in a big city and people don't really know where to go. And also to our credit slash dismay, 
we get a lot of requests for help way outside the district because people know we respond. So point being, I don't, I don't have an aide who helps me with legislative stuff. Then you got to think every day in session to some degree, there's your own bills you have to present in committee. And if they make it through, you have to present them on the floor. You have your own committee where you have to look at the bills coming in. And as session wears on, you have bills on the floor. And so you're preparing for three things every day. And it's really hard to do. And I don't do it as well as I'd like to. And I don't do it as uh, broad as I'd like to. And I still know I'm doing it better than most people because I, I can like consume large amounts of information in a short amount of time. I can stay up till two in the morning doing work. And a lot of people can't. They just like aren't trained for that. And we do need all these votes and opinions from different areas of the state and, and different, um, you know, different careers, different jobs. But as a legislator, there aren't so many of us that can do this stuff in such a high pressure environment. What committees are you on, Mandy? I was on, so these start over um, next term. I was on, uh, first I was on civil law, which I love as a lawyer. Don't you start barking. Oh. Actually, I, don't like <laughs> um, I was on civil law, which I really liked as a lawyer. We did a lot of, it's a good committee. We did, you know, some of it tort reform, which they did endlessly, but there was a lot of like qualified immunity was in there and uh, we have interesting days. And then I moved in the last two years to, Ways and Means, which is tax committee and all money for capital outlay. So capital outlay is uh, money goes to physical buildings in the state. And then I was on natural resources, which look you, natural resources where we did like, I like that for knowing the coastal litigation suits. And um, I kind of learned a lot about the sort of fights and issues and barriers between like it's like commercial and commercial and corporations trying to like go into areas where like the crawfishers and oystermen are like, no, this is where we live here. This is this is how we make a living. And probably people who voted for Trump who are like, wait a minute, you're taking our land. So anyway, that was interesting. And then judiciary, as a lawyer made sense, uh, that committee is a lot of stuff with obviously the judiciary, but it also grabs all the it's like a catch-all, like guns, alcohol, bars, breweries, uh, weird, weird stuff like Sharon Hewitt-Bill that the Star-Spangled Banner has to play at events at all state buildings. It's like one of the dumbest bills we voted on. I was on the Ronald Green subcommittee, too, where we investigated the Louisiana State Police, um, their actions surrounding his murder, and that was turned out to be a lot different than we thought. First of all, say hi to Max and Bo, who we heard playing in the background there for a minute. And then, and then secondly, thank you for doing that work because all of that sounds, Mandy, extremely like something I would have no interest in participating in. So I appreciate See, I like that. I'm like, I like my committees. I'm glad that there are wonky people who enjoy doing that stuff so I don't have to. Um, mm -hmm. So when I tweeted that you were going to be the next guest on the podcast. I mentioned climate and insurance and said, we talk about anything else you wanted to talk about. So are there any topics that you particularly want to bring up? I am very nervous about rollbacks in criminal justice reform. Um, I think 
there's possibility there will be a special session at the beginning to essentially just roll back all of that. And it's very frustrating and damning and so harmful because we were just making baby steps, let's be honest, just with some nonviolent crimes and just, just baby steps. And now they're going to roll it back. And I mean, we're still the most incarcerated state and I think still the most incarcerated in the world, maybe after Libya or something. And they're going to roll it back and just say, like, we're crime infested. I'm like, clearly we're not doing it right because we throw all these people in warehouses and crime stays the same. Mm -hmm. So I think there'll be some of that. We won't have to do taxes this year, luckily, because that's an every other year thing. So that'll be the next year. Hey, buddy. The fiscal, because a fiscal session is not a fiscal year. Yeah. Yeah. So fiscal is every other year. So we can't raise our taxes, uh, raise or lower taxes this year. I think healthcare will remain the same. I would really like to get a lot more money into maternal and infant care since Roe was overturned and we need it. And um, the governor and the, the anti-choice people didn't do any of that this year for whatever reason. I think that'll those things will be some of the bigger things and perhaps coastal stuff will move up the chain just because so much has been happening there. Well, and I know you're campaigning, so I promised I wouldn't keep you long. The last little grouping of topics I wanted to talk about was the state party. If you're willing, you and I were just both quoted in an article about the Democratic Party and the need for change there. I don't think it's a big secret. I've done a whole series of podcasts um, demystifying the Democratic Party and uh, trying to I mean, I talk to people every day about the need for a better party. And and look, I want to underscore that by saying that's not personal and it's has nothing to do with, you, you know, anything to do with the people who are involved. My entire focus on that is because we, I, I feel this, in addition to climate and insurance, the this is the other issue that I use the word existential with, because I do believe the mm-hmm. state doesn't survive unless we elect more Democrats, which requires a high functioning party that can do the work of electing more Democrats in the state who can represent working people at the state level in the legislature, who can represent women, who can represent LGBTQ plus people and offer more Mm -hmm. protections and offer more progress, right? So that's why I talk about this. We were both quoted in an article about it, and I just wanted to know, is there anything you'd like to share from your perspective on the state party and what needs to happen there? Yes. (laughs) So there's that article. There is an article that was in the paper today about me and this uh, Republican-endorsed candidate in my race. Um, there's a hot seat I was on, and I um, went a little further than we ever had before, I guess, because it was on TV. And I mean, I just think the chair is, I use the word corrupt. I think he's incompetent and corrupt and, and all of the above. And I said that on uh, the WDSU hot seat, and we said that in the paper. And uh, people don't like that. They don't like people like me, you, and others talking about that they really don't like elected officials and you and I are on the opposite we're like y'all have to talk about about this we have to fix this it's not working and the article today started to the writer's credit and said how 
the Democratic Party didn't field candidates at all in what, like 40 something races. So Republicans started out with a majority. And like, that's absurd. We didn't, I know it's hard to find people in statewide because it's such a big commitment, but legislative races, and they just haven't done it. And meanwhile, they're going like, you know, full bore against me, one of their more well-known effective people who who people like because they don't like anyone who talks back and one of them said recently she's like we don't need to air our dirty laundry out i'm like we don't even have laundry anymore like we set it on fire yeah and the poor and women and lgbt people who are really being abused like i feel like they don't have anyone really because i feel like there's just there are some people who sort of stand up for them, but there's not like a statewide group or strong showing of people who do that. And I'm tired of the big tent stuff. I fully understand people can have different views, but that doesn't mean we can't work more together on basic human rights. And it's just not happening. Not yeah, happening. I, I want to uh, pull up that article and I'll link to it in the episode mm-hmm. notes because it it's 93. Mandy, 93 statewide or multi-parish races that didn't have a choice this election cycle. That includes 22 of the 39 state Senate seats and 59 of the 105 state House races. That's just an enormous number of seats to concede before, before the first vote is cast. What were the rest that you said got up to 90? Yeah, it it was either statewide races, because there were two statewide races where okay, there were no okay. challengers. And then the okay. rest were, I, they just said uh, multi-parish races. So not legislative, okay. but gotcha. other, other races that would cover more than one parish. I gotcha. Well, there was no attempt, from what I understand, at recruiting, like none, besides like, hey, do you want to run or something? Um, nothing and it's a few years in a row that they haven't even helped like Luke Mixon ran for Senate last year and I know Gary was in the race too and some others and I had asked uh someone who knew Luke I said well what did the state party do to help y'all nothing I said didn't Katie recruit him he's like no he wanted to run on his own I I don't know what he's been doing you don't have money you don't recruit candidates like literally what are you doing and those are the top so, two jobs of the state party yeah. chair. Now there are, uh, there's a full executive committee that all should be doing things as well. And I mean, mm-hmm. at, the, at the end of the day, the biggest thing they should be doing is holding the chair accountable. So, um, yep. th- but there are 210 seats at the DSCC, all of whom could be doing work as well for mm-hmm. the party. There's just, there's so many, and we've talked about this on previous episodes where I've talked about the party. There's so many people in the state who could be working to build the party. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, you know, they have to be activated, they have to be engaged, and they have to be given, you know, basically a roadmap of here's the things that y'all could be doing. And I just don't think any of that exists. So uh, I think there's, it worries me that we don't have a high functioning party, but what that also tells me is there's huge opportunity to change the party. Yep. All of what you said is true. I mean, you and I, Dante, others, 
probably hear more than most people reaching out. What can I do? What can I join? I want to be involved. Can you send me towards something? And it's so frustrating that there's so much energy out there. There's so much interest. They know who to reach out to, or at least some of them do. And I don't have anywhere to send them, you know, either. I send, I tell them vote, uh, power, step up. But, you know, those are, everything needs more people, but those are kind of particular. I started telling people the DSA because I joined recently and they're, they're helping me out. Um, but there's just not, even like the reproductive groups are, they're wonderful, but it's not like something you can go volunteer for often. Right. Well, and so you, you've mentioned Power Coalition, Voters Organized to Educate, Step Up Louisiana, and the Democratic Socialists. All are great organizations, but if you are a hardcore Democrat and you want to work on party building, they mm-hmm. may not be the place for you. They may not be the place. There's, there needs to be a place for people who believe in the Democratic Party and want to want to be able to say, you know, I am a proud Louisiana Democrat there's got to be a place for those folks to go. So that's what needs to be built. Yeah. And they want to do that. They want to be involved in the party. I get those questions too. Like, are we doing voter registration or what can I do? And I'm like, there's nothing I can point you to. I want to get the party back. Um, There's a lot of people on the ground. You've heard it too, who understand now what the DSCC is, which is basically like the legislature of the party sort of. And they know what it is, and they want to get involved, and they want to elect people. Vote does vote understands that uh, voters organize to educate too, and they realize that like we need to we need to do this if we're going to have a functioning party and elect people. Then we need to start at the ground, and it'll take us a few years. But I think uh, I, th- I think it's moving in the right direction for us. Well, there's certainly a lot of energy out there and hopefully it can get focused and put in the right direction and move things forward. Mandy, like I said, you've already done a previous podcast with me. So I've got all kinds of information about you that people can (laughs) learn if they go back and listen to it. But I will ask you one final question. If you could have any superpower, what would you choose? Oh, do I have to have it all the time or can I turn it on and off? it's there's no rules you can do what you'd like Mm -hmm. oh okay sorry but well it's different things to think about like like I would like to read people's minds but I don't want to know it all the time I just want to know it like in the capital maybe (laughs) I don't want to read your mind Linda but I would like to read uh some of my colleagues minds sometimes (laughs) I get it I get it well maybe you could have like a, a tool belt that has a hat that gives you that yeah ability or something definitely or maybe the ability to like need less sleep. Okay. That's another good one. I can see that coming in handy with your job. Mandy, oh, thank yeah. you so much for joining me uh, for a real quick free election day podcast. I wish you all the best of luck and good luck out there campaigning. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Bye, Linda. Thank you for listening to Louisiana Lefty please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you to Ben Collinsworth for producing Louisiana Lefty, Jen Pack of Black Cat Studios for our Super Lefty artwork, and Thousand Dollar Car for allowing us to use their Swamp Pop Classic Security Guard as our Louisiana Lefty theme song.